This episode of State of the Nonprofits discusses sensitive issues that may be a trigger for some of our listeners. Our conversation focuses on emergency preparedness, particularly for active shooter events. Please listen with caution. This is the State of the Nonprofits, and I'm your host, Autumn Vest, the Executive Director of MSS. If you aren't familiar with MSS, we are so much more than just a building. This year, our team is leaning into emergency preparedness. We're working to improve our emergency response equipment and training not only our staff, but providing training to the 14 nonprofits that reside in our building. Part of that training has been specific to active shooter situations. Joining me in this episode is Eric Carroll with the Midland Fire Department. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. So Eric's joining me because this is something he is very familiar with and training and has had some experience that he has shared with us. So thank you so much for being here today. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for the invite. So for our visually impaired and recording library listeners, we like to give a brief audio description of ourselves to help them create a mental image as they listen. I'll go first. I'm five foot two with short brown hair, brown eyes and green glasses. It's a Wednesday. And of course, I'm wearing a pink sweater because on Wednesdays we wear pink. Eric? My name is Eric Harrell. I'm five foot eight, 260 pounds. Got a military style haircut, uh, athletic build, blue jeans, tennis shoes, pretty basic. Let's dig in a little bit. Tell me, how long have you been with Midland Fire Department? What do you do? I've been with Midland Fire Department for 15 and a half years. I was with Big Spring Fire Department for two years prior, so almost 18 total. Uh, I'm a captain at Station 5. Uh, we are the Ropes Rescue Station, High Angle Rescue. Uh, been doing active shooter teachings since 2015. And where is uh, Station 5 located? Station 5 is the new station on Garfield and Golf Course, that two-story one. Oh, the one with the Christmas tree in the window. Yes, ma'am. When the lights are <laughs> off, it's just a tree. <laughs> so you have a very specific, unique role because you work with SWAT. Tell us a little bit about your role and how you fit with both Midland Police Department and Midland Fire Department. Okay, so... In 2015, uh, we had an incident in town, got us started with the tactical medic program. Uh, We initially started out with 12. Uh, We hand-selected those guys, and we were part of a tactical medic team, which responds with Midland County Sheriff's Office SWAT team. Since then, we have dwindled down to five guys, but we respond with Midland County SO SWAT on any high-risk warrants. Uh, We work work also in conjunction with FBI, DEA, U.S. Marshals, uh, sometimes DPS's SRT4 team um, whenever they need help. So we we are their medical support, <clears throat> excuse me, on high-risk warrants Okay. in case one of our officers get hurt. Uh, we're there to provide immediate medical assistance. We're also there for the for the bad guy to do any life-saving measures that may need to be done. So we've been doing that since 2015. So you're also available and trained if the worst happens. And so you actually have experience. You were in response on the day of August 31st when the Odessa shooting occurred. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. I was. I was uh, first on scene with the uh, DPS officer Mm -hmm. on on the loop there in the interstate. So yeah, we, I got firsthand experience with that. So what's important to know and get from that is that our local emergency and first responders are prepared and not only did respond, but have the ability to, and you're part of that team and that trains and is prepared for that. Yes, ma'am. We, we adopted the rescue task force concept with the Midland Fire Department uh, soon after we started the tactical medic 
team um, just because we saw a need for it. Mm-hmm. Prior to Columbine, EMS was always stage out of the way, out of sight because we weren't we weren't equipped with ballistic equipment or firearms. So we're unprotected. So we staged way away and had to wait for law enforcement to call us up mm-hmm. when the scene was safe. Since Columbine, things have changed. Um, and now they've come up with this rescue task force, which means there's going to be a group of us that team up with law enforcement or our fire marshal's office because they are peace officers and they are armed. And they are going to be our armed security and we are going to make entry immediately and start uh, providing life-saving care to any victims we come across. And we've we have yearly training with the department that we put on and run everybody through the rescue task force concept, how that works, how you're going to deploy and what your responsibilities are. So that's peace of mind. But training is a big piece of this conversation, not just training for the law enforcement and first responders, but training for those of us in the community who are in situations that we might be able to help or protect each other or others or ourselves. And so you recently provided some training here at MSS Mm -hmm. for all of our staff and for our tenant staff. Can you talk a little bit about the trainings that you guys provide? Yes, ma'am. So it's the the CRAZE program, which stands for Civilian Response to Active Shooter Events and Stop the Bleed, which is just massive hemorrhage control. Uh, This is for anybody. You don't have to be medically certified any kind of way. This is just tourniquet application and wound packing. So just your normal lay person can do this. And that's what these classes are for, to teach people how to do that. It's a free service that we offer. So we just teach them how you should respond in an active shooter event. There's three stages. There's avoid, deny, and defend. So that's what we go over. So if you can get out, get out. If you can't get out, uh, that's the deny part, means deny access. So you get into a room or whatever, you lock yourself in that room, you give the appearance of an empty locked room, and you stay quiet. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, if you can't get away and you can't hide because you're face-to-face with a shooter and you're within a close enough distance, I mean, it's it's time to fight, which is defend. And then also the stop the bleed. If you are on scene of an active shooter event or active attack event and it's over and there's people injured with this stop the bleed training, you can start helping first responders before they get there to start providing life-saving measures to just help your people. A couple of questions, and these may seem kind of in the weeds maybe, but when should someone call 911 if they are afraid or should they be calling the non-emergency number? So my opinion on that is the non-emergency number is in case like, say you have an elderly parent and you're standing there looking at them and they just slip out of the chair onto the floor they're too big for you to pick up and you just need help. Call the non-emergency number and just say, hey, I need I need EMS to come help me pick up my mom or dad. Mm-hmm. But say your mom or dad fell, you weren't there, you come in and it's been hours and they're still sitting there, call 911 mm-hmm. um, because you have no idea what type of injuries they sustained. If you didn't witness it, and you, so you have no idea I would call 911. So last week here in our community and actually in communities around the country, there were social media threats going around about active shooters in school districts. Um, It wasn't specific in that in those social media posts 
what school district it was about, if it was any in particular school district. And so we heard a lot of words like credible threat and non-credible threat. What's the difference there? So like we uh, talk in the the CRACE program, Mm -hmm. take every threat as credible because you never know anymore if they're serious or not. So how often are these type of events happening across the U.S.? In the CRACE program, an active shooter event is where four or more people are killed those numbers are going to come out at the end of the year on true mass shootings, active shooter events. Right now, there's anywhere between 131 and 202 for the year. And it's May the 17th today. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. That's that's more than one a day. <laughs> that's yeah. We haven't had that many days in the year yet. Yeah. So it, it depends. They're happening a lot more often. Yeah. So when we talk about active shooter event at the end, when all the numbers are run, what what defines an active shooter or active attack event? So just like I said, where four or more people are killed. Okay. Um, the injured, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, they, they matter, but. They don't go into the account. They don't go into the account. It's just where four or more people are, are killed. One of the things that we kind of wonder is, you know, is it something we should be prepared for? What kind of locations are being chosen? And I know in, in part of the training that you um, conducted for us, we talked a little bit about where those locations are. And, you know, it seems like we hear about schools a lot, but that's not necessarily the number one setting for these types of attacks. No, ma'am. But uh, yeah, businesses actually are number one. Um, com- yeah. uh, commerce, mm-hmm. places of commerce. Uh, outdoors is number two. So outdoor events. Okay. Uh, that used to be number three. Schools was number two. There's an active shooter community out there, and they're studying every single one of these that happen, and they're seeing what works, what doesn't work, and they're adjusting their attacks to be more successful, and they're finding that these outdoor events, there's a lot of people in an open space that can't go anywhere, can't hide. Sure. So, you know, as nonprofits, we have a lot of events. In many cases, we have facilities, whether they're small office spaces or larger community spaces like what MSS here has. So what kind of security measures should we as nonprofits put into place and what should we do? So when I did your building assessment, um, one thing was your doors being locked because you don't have... 24 or business hour security that's watching people come in and out of this building. So customer service, it's hard to find that balance. It, there is, but I mean, safety is more important than customer service at this point mm-hmm. in life. It's policy. So you got to be proficient in it and not get lax. Mm-hmm. Like people propping doors open because they don't want to take the time to swipe in and swipe out when they're just in and out, in and out. Mm-hmm. But those are perfect opportunities right there for somebody to slip in behind you. Sure. Well, if, you, they're, if you, they're watching or if they're targeting yeah. that that specific area. Yeah. So you said two things I want to dig in a little bit. You said mm-hmm. you can, you did. You came and did an assessment for us. What does that look like? We call it a threat assessment. Tell us a little bit about what you can do for other agencies. Just point out weak spots. Um, I'm not a professional by any means. Uh, it's just experience. It's a simple, just a walkthrough. Um And we just give our opinion. We just point out weak spots, what we think. Well, and I think that's really helpful because especially those of us who manage the facilities that we're in, whatever that office space may look like, you know, we're in it every day. And so we think that we see all the blind spots, but it's nice to have a second opinion, especially somebody who's had some experience or comes from a different uh, perspective. Yes, ma'am. 
So the other thing that you said was policy. And I think that's a really important part. That's something that we actually here at MSS are really digging into as part of our emergency preparedness is creating policies and plans for the worst, right? So what kind of things can we do? Are there tools that exist that can help us to come up with and build those active shooter preparedness plans and things like that? Yeah, you can Google uh, active shooter policies for businesses. I mean, there's all kinds of templates out there. Um, and you can find the one that fits yours and, or close and then tweak it to fit your specific building or, or your tenants. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of templates out there to go by. You know, the biggest thing is we don't want to create a culture of fear by any means, but oh, no, no. creating a culture of preparedness and knowing who and how to um protect ourselves and, you know, the people around us. You know, one of the things that we talked about was when you go into a meeting space is to identify in the meeting who's responsible for what doors and how you react in kind of the moment. Yes, ma'am. I mean, and that's, like you said, you don't want to live in a in a world of fear, but these, these events are happening more and more. Mm-hmm. It's better to be prepared and proactive than reactive. And it's just simple. Like, like you said, if you're in a meeting room, it's like, hey, you're in charge of that door. If something happens, you're in charge of that door. And once those are shut, this is where we're moving. Just open up the meeting with that. Get it out of the way. So what kind of equipment should we have in place? Part of the Stop the Bleed training, you actually train us on how to use tourniquets. But, you know, what kind of things can we have in place to help protect the people in our facilities? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, there's um, Stop the Bleed kits and there's a lot out there. Um, you don't have to get it from stopthebleed.org. There's multiple companies out there that make, they're called like IFAX individual first aid kits. Uh, you can look at, see what's in them. You can build your own, um, put them in sandwich bags, Ziploc sandwich bags. You don't have to be the tactic cool guy and have the nylon black coyote camouflage bag. I mean, a, a Ziploc sandwich bag works perfect. Basic is just, like I said, tourniquet, gauze, pressure dressing, gloves. You can get more advanced, but if you're going to get more advanced, you need to get the training on that. Well, and I think it's just important to to go back to having a plan in place. Where are places to congregate people or places to, you know, exit points to get people in and out of facilities? Who is responsible for making announcements or how those announcements are made in the facilities that you're in and who's calling 911? How, what does that look like, you know, in the event of the worst? We all hope that that will, of course, never happen. Oh, yeah. We always, we always hope it never happens, but... Like we found out in August 2019, it happened. Yeah. Um, so it's better be prepared um, and have, like in your policy, which goes disseminated out to everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody knows who's responsible for making the phone call, who's responsible for locking what doors. Uh, if you're going to get that automated system, who's responsible for hitting that that button to alert the whole building on whichever code it is, everybody knows their responsibility and nobody's wondering or second guessing, hey, who's calling 911? Who's who's hitting the code? It's like everybody knows. And there's always a plan A, plan B, plan C. If this person's not here, this person's doing it. If somebody wants to reach out to you, mm-hmm. we'll have your contact information and you're welcome in the show notes for today's episode. But um, you are available to come in and do these Christ trainings and the Stop the Bleed trainings and threat assessments. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter how many people are in the group. You're willing to come and train any number, right? So the Craze program is unlimited size. Okay. Um, 
the stop the bleed is limited to about 40 just because of tourniquet availability. So, yeah, that's that's the only one that's limited just because of tourniquet availability. Sure. So if you have an office out there and you're listening and you're a nonprofit of three people and you would like to have training in your facility, you can do that, right? Yes, ma'am, for sure. Just okay. give me a call, email me something, uh, give me some dates, make sure it doesn't mess with my fire department schedule. We can schedule on my days off and we'll make it happen. Just fair warning, y'all. Fire department schedules are weird. <laughs> Forty-eight ninety-six. <laughs> That's what we work. Crazy, crazy. So any final thoughts, Eric? No, ma'am. I appreciate the invite. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Again, be sure to check out today's show notes for information on how to reach Eric and the Midland Fire Department for more training information. And thank you so much for tuning in today. Subscribe on your favorite podcast outlet so you never miss an episode. And as always, we're grateful to the Recording Library of West Texas for their partnership that makes State of the Nonprofits possible.